This is Learning Innovation, a teaching and learning podcast, otherwise known as LittlePod. We're created by Lethbridge College's Center for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation, located in Alberta, Canada, on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. Here at CTLI, it's our job to keep education innovative and accessible, which leads to lots of conversations and projects with students, educators, and experts in our networks. We hope you'll tune in, hit play, and get inspired as we navigate and capture the dynamic landscape of teaching, learning, and pedagogy. Welcome to episode 13 of The Little Pod. Our guests today are Megan Shapka and Jason Donkersgood, and we'll be discussing how colleges can have a social and economic impact on their local communities. Megan has been working with Lethbridge College for 14 years and is currently serving as the Associate Dean for the Centre for Applied Research, Innovation and Entrepreneurship here at Lethbridge College. Welcome, Megan. Thanks, Donna. I'm really excited to be here. It's lovely to have you. And Jason is newer to the college, just joining us in the last year, but is serving as the Director for Business Development and has worked in business management for over 20 years. Welcome, Jason. Thanks, Donna. Megan, can you explain what you do as the Associate Dean for Applied Research, Innovation and Entrepreneurship? Uh, How much time do we have? You've got all the time you like. Okay. Yeah, so my role at Lethbridge College is maybe a little bit different than some of the associate deans um, in the academic centers. So in the Center for Applied Research, Innovation and Entrepreneurship, uh, we're really integrated with our local community and specifically industry and companies that are seeking applied research services. So that's accessing the research expertise that we have at Lethbridge College. Um, So my role is really to facilitate all of those research operations, to make a lot of connections between our community and our industry, and connect companies who have problems to the research expertise that we have at Lethbridge College. So I'm overseeing um, some of the research teams and what they're doing, and very specifically um, overseeing all of our research facilities. Um, We have a real focus on agriculture at Lethbridge College. We have a 385-acre farm that I'm managing, and uh, right now I'm in Brooks, Alberta, at our 60,000-square-foot greenhouse. So quite a wide variety of tasks in my role. That sounds really amazing and quite exciting. What principles would you say guide you in your role? I'd say I'm most guided by an interest in what other people are doing and what other people need. So throughout my career, I've had quite a few different opportunities to learn about human-centered design and design thinking, and I've carried that with me throughout all my different roles. Um, And this one, it serves me quite well because one of our our main objectives is to really find out what our industry partners are struggling with. So digging deep, finding out what their challenges are, and then matching them up with the right research expertise. Um, As well... We teach a lot about innovation and and entrepreneurship, and so I feel I embody an entrepreneurial mindset in everything I do. And uh, often when I get asked the question, how do you do what you do? I say, I love to just throw things at the wall and see what sticks. So lots of experimentation and testing. And if you don't get it right the first time, that's okay. It's just a learning opportunity. That sounds like that would be really important in your role and with what you're doing. It definitely is because uh, most of the time things don't go as we expect them to and we just have to roll with it and, and try something new. Great, thank you. Jason, um, can you describe what you do as the director for business development? 
sure. We're really excited because we just launched what we call LC Extension, which is a combination of our collaborative center of excellence in people development, our corporate and continuing education, and all of our business development efforts. And really, truly an extension of uh, Lethbridge College out into the community. And my work revolves around connecting with and trying to help solve pain points with industry and what we call employee partners. And almost all of it revolves around people development. So I'm out in the community having great conversations, trying to find what, uh, what uh, problems exist that we can try to help solve within organizations. And what are the principles that guide you in your work? Yeah, sure. So I kind of have this mantra that I, I work with on a day-to-day -day basis, which is have fun every day and energize others to uh, take action through creating clarity. So when I rip that apart, you know, fun to me is an accelerant. And, uh, you know, the moment you add fun into the day, things just get, uh, they take off, let's say. Uh, the interesting thing around clarity is I was doing some research for my master's program and uh, the one common theme that seemed to exist in everybody that I talked to is that they wanted to be more clear on what they wanted out of life. And I think that exists within organizations as well. Organizations oftentimes are in a situation where the world is very complex. And if we can help them create clarity on their next move, it is actually incredibly helpful. Well, that sounds really fascinating and, and particularly important at this moment in time in this world that we're in. Couldn't agree more. Okay, this is a question for both of you. What are SDGs? What does that stand for? I think Jason will probably make me answer that one first, at least. 100%. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so SDG stands for Sustainable Development Goals or sometimes referred to as the global goals. So in 2015, uh, the UN established these 17 goals that are really a blueprint for our sustainable future. Um, they guide the way that we should be acting so that we are reaching a level of development that we need to within the world. So we're still pursuing economic development and, and doing what we need to do to progress society, but that we're keeping those future generations in mind as we do so. So there are 17 goals. Um, I'd encourage everyone to look them up. Um, I don't know the website offhand, but if you, if you Google UN Sustainable Development Goals, you'll get it. And they've got a beautiful graphic that lists all 17. And um, they addressed address all kinds of different um, elements that are challenging our society right now. So like there's one referencing no poverty, another that's zero hunger. Others um, address quality of education, uh, gender inequalities. And then we get into all of the climate change um, talk as well. So how do we improve life on land? What do we need to do for our oceans? It's very, very uh, systems approach to addressing all the challenges that the world's facing right now. Megan, you mentioned a systems approach, and I've heard this term come up in various places. Can you define um, that term? I will certainly give it my best shot. It's a uh, it's something that I've studied a little bit, but but not a whole bunch. But I think it's something that a lot of us embody naturally without even realizing what it actually is. So, um, basically you consider a whole system 
as a system. So it's an ecosystem, just like a natural environment. So I, I think about a forest is usually the metaphor that I use. So everything interacts with, with everything, the, the trees and the, the plants and the animals. And so you can take that natural living ecosystem and compare it to an organization or an operation or a, a whole city to the whole world. Everything should be thought of as an entire system. Thank you. I, yeah, I've heard our Dean, um, Jackie, mention systems as well. And Jason, uh, for you, would you define it in the same way? Or is there something you'd like to add to that? Yeah, for sure. So, so I love uh, where we started with this uh, uh, definition. Uh, when I think about systems thinking, automatically what comes to mind is complexity. Uh, and we're living in a more and more complex world all the time. And uh, we oftentimes uh, think about cause and effect. And I think in a non-complex world, it's really easy to understand cause and effect. As you become more and more complex, that cause and effect becomes less and less clear. So systems thinking is trying to get all of the information on the table about the entire system so you can make the best decision humanly possible. And so very often it takes lots of communication and bringing as many stakeholders together as humanly possible so that we can get the biggest picture of what's happening before we actually make decisions. Okay. And I can see how that would fit with your work in the community and, and with the research as well. Yeah, for sure. So from a community perspective, I always, uh, as we're having these conversations with clients, the biggest challenge is um, what they're bringing to us for them is very nebulous at the time. Uh, and as we ask the right questions, and, and by the way, we always ask that they bring multiple people to the meeting, and we bring multiple people to the meeting so that we can be really exploring their challenge and we can be asking all of the right questions to understand the system at a strong enough level that we can actually prescribe the right um, uh, solution. This is sounding very much like human-centered design. Megan, this is sounding familiar to me. Would you, is that sort of what it, how it fits with the human-centered design? Yeah, I would say so. We, we attack everything the same way when we're talking to the partners who are seeking research. Um, it's really about gathering all of the information that you possibly can, bringing as many people to the table to figure out what the challenge actually is, and then addressing that need through that systems lens. So how is it not just going to impact what the community partner or the client is, is seeking, but what's the bigger picture and always bringing that lens to it, um, solving what they need, but realizing that there's implications to what they might need. So those sound really wonderful and amazing, but how do they affect Lethbridge College? So um, governments across the world have established different targets that are important to their country. And the federal government here in Canada has recognized the role that post-secondaries can play in achieving these goals. So what we're doing at any post-secondary institution is providing education and advancing society in, in the way that we all understand that we do. And um, our federal government has recognized that very important role that post-secondaries should be playing. Um, at Lethbridge College specifically, our president, Dr. Paula Burns, has signed something called the SDG Accord. And that's um, an international initiative to bring the post-secondaries together, recognizing that important role that post-secondaries can play in achieving these goals. 
So at Lethbridge College, in addition to having signed the accord, we are working on quite a few different initiatives on our campus and at the national level. So Dr. Burns um, chairs a group called the President's Advisory, which is run out of Colleges and Institutes Canada. And they created a special program called IMPACT. And it's all around advancing um, initiatives around the SDGs on campuses. Um, and I've been privileged since this launched in February 2020. So right when, when COVID was starting, I, I got to go to Ottawa right before we all got shut down. Um, and I participate in two different working groups in CICAN Impact. Um, one is focused on social entrepreneurship and the other is on encouraging other post-secondaries to sign this SDG accord. Um, and then there's two other groups. One's really focused on environmental sustainability on campuses and another is focused on um, addressing um, like EDI initiatives, equity, diversity and inclusion. So there's a lot of momentum building across the country in terms of what can campuses be doing to address the SDGs. That sounds really amazing and uh, like it encompasses quite a broad range of areas, but really important work. It is. And Lethbridge College hasn't really branded what we do as addressing the SDGs yet. That's kind of where we're going. We need to build some awareness and start branding what we do as addressing the SDGs. But um, last year, I hired an intern to do an environmental scan of what are we already doing at Lethbridge College that could really easily align with those SDGs. And um, the intern generated a 141-page report. So we are already doing a lot. We just need to start talking about it. Um, a lot of it demonstrated how clearly aligned all of our program areas at Lethbridge College are to those 17 goals. So if you, if you pulled up that graphic and you could see those 17 goals, you could say um, there's one about uh, quality, uh, like healthcare. So we've got nursing, we've got um, human services programs. There's one about um, justice and making sure that like, we live in a just society. Well, we have a justice program. We have environmental sciences programs. And then really close to my heart is agriculture. Well, there's so many different things we can be doing to address food insecurity, sustainable agriculture practices, and all of that aligns very, very clearly with the SDGs. That's really exciting to know that, that we're already doing so many of these things. Yeah, we really are. And um, I work in the Applied Research Office, and, and we're really focused on making sure that all of our research projects align with those SDGs. In our annual report last year, we actually demonstrated that visually. And, and when we were talking about the individual projects that we had accomplished in the year, we put the SDG icons alongside each project. And, and many of them addressed more than one of the goals, which was really exciting. Wonderful. Thanks, Megan. Uh, Jason, is there anything that you'd like to add to this? Yeah, I, I think when I think about the SDGs and, and Lethbridge College Extension and how we extend out into the community, I think about, um, you know, problems organizations are trying to solve. And many of the organizations that we work with are small. And, and so maybe they don't have all of the resources necessary to work on this. So this is where we can leverage our expertise and the things that we're doing, lead by example, and also create programs that, uh, that these companies and organizations can lean into. Jason, for anyone who would like to learn more about some of the community projects that you'd mentioned, how would they get in touch with you? 
Sure. So first things first, they can go onto our website and, and we've got uh, a, a great explanation of what we do. And as you scroll down in there, there's a little, hey, I want to talk to you guys. Uh, and it, it takes you about a minute and a half to fill out uh, that form. Uh, and then we'll reach out and, and we'll begin the process of trying to understand that you're, the challenge you're facing or the opportunity that's in front of you. Excellent. And we'll post the link to that website in the show notes. Perfect. Another question. Uh, how do you define social infrastructure and what role do you both play in it? I think that's another one for me to start probably. Hey, Jason. You bet. Yeah. So um, last year I actually finished a master's program in sustainability, creativity, and innovation. And I focused most of my work on how can community colleges really change the way we contribute to social infrastructure. So social infrastructure is those things that like all of our cultural assets. So it's schools, it's libraries, it's, it's literally the things that make up the social fabric of our society. Um, so colleges naturally are doing that. And community colleges in particular can really enhance what we're doing to improve the well-being of our communities. So if you think about the reason community colleges were established in Canada to begin with, way back to the 1960s, the entire point of us was to have a social impact within our communities. So we offer community programs like what Jason's um, offering through, through his area. We're doing that applied research for community organizations and, and companies that need that assistance. We've got relevant um, education that's hands-on training for people to put them right into jobs. We've got libraries, we've got beautiful walking trails and parks, and we've got you know gym memberships, things that the community can access. Um, so as we move towards a more sustainable future, can colleges start using their physical infrastructure and all of their assets and resources to be doing more for the social well-being of our communities. And my work in my, my thesis through my master's was, yes, of course we can. So if you think about a campus, a lot of times it's empty in the summer. So could we be using some of our spaces to be offering community programs? What can we be doing here that we aren't um, already doing? Um, and then another area where we could really have a lot of impact is the way we're spending our money. Colleges, any post-secondary, is spending a lot of money to run our operations. We have to buy a lot of things. So could we have a social procurement policy where we're making sure we're buying local and we're having an impact right where we are located? Those are some amazing questions. That, that's uh, really important and not maybe something that we necessarily think about all the time. No, it kind of stretches us beyond just the, the teaching and learning part. It's, it's what else do we bring to our community? And it, it's a lot. And I think it could be more. And so I feel like maybe the answers to this ties to some of your work, Jason. Yes, for sure. And I, what I love about this subject is it actually aligns so nicely to our mission at Lethbridge College to inspire and facilitate learning and innovation to meet economic and social needs. So that's always running through my head as I'm making decisions within our area. So I think about how can we, how can we help 
the economy in, in Southern Alberta. And really that's about people development, upskilling and reskilling for the uh, future of work, making sure that organizations can thrive. And then from a social perspective, you know, how can we share our goodness out into the community? Uh, and in my area, you know, sometimes it's as simple as special interest courses to give somebody something great to do on the weekend or on an evening. Yeah, so so it really runs the gamut from very large projects to even something very small. I think so, yes, for sure. Is that part of what you would call community-focused programming? Yeah, I, I like for me, as I start to think about community-focused uh, programming, I, I think immediately first to summer camps and, and the role that plays within... Uh, you know, supporting our community as a whole. So you think about uh, summer and, and as a parent with young children, how hard it is to balance uh, young children and work. And so if we can give those kids something really valuable to do during the summer that helps that parent and, and we advance uh, the child's education, right? Um, and then, and then we do a whole bunch of other programming and, and, and a great example is, uh, not too long ago, we just finished a project with an indigenous community, uh, within, uh, the local region. And it was about building a tiny home, uh, and with throughout the entire program, they actually, they began with nothing and built an entire tiny home, but think about all of the skills they had to learn throughout that entire process. And those skills uh, allowed many of them to gain employment immediately. So really interesting what we can do within the community. That sounds like such an exciting project to build a tiny home. Yeah, the pictures were just incredible. And, and listening to the instructor and hearing the pride that all of the students took in the uh, final outcome, it, it was incredible. And then uh, the community is actually deciding what they're going to do with the tiny home and it will live somewhere in the community and do good after the program, which is amazing. That's wonderful that that project can have so many far reaching benefits. Agreed. Now, you mentioned the summer camps and you mentioned the tiny home. Are there any other examples of community-focused programming that you'd like to mention? Yeah, so it, we do a great deal of work with uh, not-for-profits as well that, uh, you know, a great example right now is we're working with a very large not-for-profit and we're helping them uh, create pathways of learning by employee group. Uh, and, you know, th this particular group just doesn't have large enough infrastructure to take on this project 100% on their own. So to actually design all of the courses and, uh, and, and make sure everybody goes through. So it's pretty great that we can, uh, uh, you know, collaborate with them to bring this to life so that they are a stronger organization for those community members that they serve. So this question might be more for Jason, but I will ask it to both of you and feel free, whoever would like to jump in. How do you help industries with corporate training? Sure. So, so we've got such unique expertise within Lethbridge College. So whether it's subject matter experts or our Center for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation, who are absolute experts at uh, learning and development, uh, we can tap into them in everything that we do. And I said earlier that oftentimes when people are coming to us with a challenge 
or, or an opportunity to build training, it's very nebulous. They're not 100% sure where they want to go or the right skill they need to move forward. So our job is to help create that clarity needed to find the path forward and then to, uh, to together design or, or we might have pre-designed already the training solution that's going to actually move that uh, organization forward. Um, Jason, would you like to do, to talk about the difference between, uh, corporate training and continuing education? Sure. Yeah. It makes complete sense. So, uh, you know, corporate or organizational training is when a company comes to us with a specific, uh, challenge, uh, and they want to invest in people development in order to solve that challenge. Whereas, uh, you know, on the community side, uh, typically people are coming to us with a motivation of just special interest. They just want to do some professional development of some sort, or perhaps they're coming to us because maybe they're underemployed or unemployed, and they want to get some quick hit training that will allow them to better their employment situation. Okay. So one side is more corporate driven and the other side is maybe more community member kind of driven. Exactly. And, and I, I would expand from corporate to organizational because, you know, corporate, sometimes we forget about nonprofit and those type of things. And certainly we do a lot of work with those type of organizations as well. So it isn't all just businesses. Exactly. And so what are some questions that you ask or how do you determine, how do you help them determine what it is they need? Yeah, one of my favorite uh, topics is the anatomy of great questions. And, you know, we owe it to anybody in any conversation to be thoughtful about the questions that we ask. So typically, when we begin the conversation with an organization, we're going to begin it by asking, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing today? Um, And what or what are you trying to move forward right now? Uh, What's working really well? Um, and then I love, I love embedding some questions uh, that really take a positive slant. So, you know, what's the training program that your team still talks about? And then we'd ask a whole bunch of follow-up questions about what made that experience so special for them and, uh, and, and why should we try to emulate it possibly or what can we learn from that experience? Those are some great questions and I can see how that would really help in trying to determine what will work best for them. Yeah. And one of the things that I love is, um, you know, when we get to that point, we always have folks from the uh, Center for Teaching and Learning Innovation in the room, and they come about uh, their questions from such a unique vantage point that I could never because I don't have that same learning and development background. So it's really pure in the type of questions that they ask, which always uncovers uh, things that I would have never been able to uncover on my own or my team on our own, uh, which always leads to additional clarity, uh, which allows us to actually build a better program. That's, that's amazing. Um, and such valuable work for those organizations. Yeah, we, we feel so fulfilled every single day doing the work that we do. Are there any examples that you can mention um, that are maybe some favorite examples, some highlights that you've worked on? So, so just recently, we worked with a, uh, a large municipality. Uh, and one of the challenges that they were facing is a new city manager who decided that they really wanted to create a culture of customer service. 
And that was not necessarily embedded within the entire organization. So we worked to clarify exactly what we wanted to uh, bring to the table. We worked to understand all of the different employee groups and the different needs. So if you've got somebody, let's say that's working in a municipality that's always out on site, the type of learning that that person needs is going to be very different than the person sitting behind the desk receiving customers on a day-to-day -day basis. So we created the uh, individual pathways based on employee uh, groups. And what I love about this one is this municipality, every single employee will take at least a part of this. So we're helping drive forward that uh, culture of uh, customer service, which is, is really exciting. And then another one we, we've been working again, and I think I mentioned this earlier, with a uh, large nonprofit. And so this one was unique because we, we actually um, built it with all stuff that was already existing within our portfolio. But what we did is because they have a very large employee group, we tried to understand the different employees and we curated pathways based on each individual employee. So it was a lot of work to do that. But what's even better is we helped uh, navigate through the Alberta Canada job grant. So approximately two thirds of their overall training bill is going to be paid by this grant, which is unbelievable. That's incredible. That's amazing. And, and also wonderful for the employees to have that sort of personalized training. Yeah, for sure. If you take a look, I've been seeing a lot on LinkedIn recently about the great resignation. And I, I don't know if I would call it exactly that, but it is a topic that we should all be paying attention to within organizations. And, and we can see a clear line between people development and people resigning. People who do not feel like they're being developed within a role oftentimes are at higher risk of, of leaving an organization. So in this specific moment where we're challenged with COVID and people are beginning to ask questions about, am I in the right job? You can actually help guide that person to those answers if you're able to show that you're willing to invest in their, uh, in their development. So the impact of the work that you're doing really goes beyond just the training. Yeah, 100%. I, I mean, I'm a firm believer that uh, within organizations, we have a responsibility to help make people the best version of themselves on a day-to-day -day version. And that's what people development is all about. Wouldn't it be great if every single person who takes on a job leaves that job a better person than they were when they came in? That's amazing. That's a great concept. I love that. So I want to jump back into the research and development. Um, so what would be some of the research and development needs of Lethbridge College and its associated communities? Yeah, so it really builds off of what Jason's been talking about. So applied research is about helping companies get the research and development that they need. Um, so at Lethbridge College, there is a lot of expertise. So we can rely on the faculty expertise to conduct applied research or in some of the programs, we actually have dedicated researchers. So people who were just hired to do research. Um, so what we do is we have, uh, similarly to what Jason mentioned, a website where companies can go and they fill out a client intake form and telling us what their problems are and you know, when do they wanna solve it? What's the challenge? Who are they? All of these types of like basic information questions. And then we look at that internally 
figure out if we have the research expertise somewhere in the college and can we then bring that, those research experts together with the company or the individual who's got the problem and do what we call a bridge meeting and talk it through and really get to the bottom of that program or that problem and can we solve it for them? What are we going to do to solve it for them? So the way we've set it up is that companies can actually just pay for the research and development that they need if they have those resources, or we can go out and find them research funding because sometimes what they need to accomplish is quite expensive. And there are an extensive amount of programs out there, whether it's provincially funded or federally funded that can help companies advance the technology that they're trying to build or innovate their, their systems and their services. Um, so there's a lot of different pathways we can take to help companies solve the challenges that they need to solve. And are there some particular areas that we specialize in? Yeah, there definitely are. So the one that I oversee the most is agriculture. Uh, Lethbridge College has been doing agriculture research for over 30 years, which is uh, quite significant. And, and we have uh, a few different areas of expertise in that. Uh, the first would be crop production, both indoors and outdoors. So right now I'm sitting in our Brooks Research and Production Greenhouse, and that's where we're doing a lot of greenhouse research. Um, all day I've been meeting with one of our biggest clients, which is Santerra Farms, and together we're growing strawberries and tomatoes here. Um, we also have a 385-acre farm just east of Lethbridge, and on that land we're doing um, irrigation science research. So that's, you know, the outdoor crop production. How are we managing water efficiently? How can we be doing that better? On that farm, we have all these different types of irrigation systems, uh, which Lethbridge region is known for all of our extensive irrigation infrastructure. It's, it's what allows us to grow the crops that we grow and, and have the, the economic impact that we do. Um, and then the third area of research expertise um, on the agriculture side is in advanced post-harvest techniques. So what do we do with crops once we take them off the field? Because a lot of things are stored for a duration of time and we lose a lot of product in that storage. So in, in Lethbridge, we're growing sugar beets and we're growing potatoes and we're growing different types of uh, cereal crops. All of those are going into storage and, and there's a lot of spoilage. So we have a whole team looking at how do we make that not happen and because that's going to have a huge impact for companies. Um, and then I guess there's, there's one more that I, that I didn't mention on the agriculture side and that's aquaculture. So that's actually our longest standing research program and, and aquaculture is about the raising of fish uh, and we do it indoors. Some aquaculture operations are in, in pens, in, in oceans, but, but ours is all indoors. And uh, one thing that's really unique about the research at Lethbridge College is we've actually integrated the greenhouse production with the aqu aquaculture into something called aquaponics. So that's like growing the fish and the plants in a closed, uh, closed loop system together. And, and that's something that we're internationally recognized for. And that's just the agriculture side. So that's mostly what I do. Um, and then we have other teams working on the other research areas of expertise. So there's actually five main themes at Lethbridge College that really align with all of the um, program areas that we have. Um, but the one that's probably getting the most traction other than agriculture is the theme we call business and development. And what's really taking off there is virtual and augmented reality. So we recently received funding to start building out the infrastructure of that program. So how can we start helping 
a variety of different industries use VR technology to improve their training, to um, just, there's all kinds of opportunities with VR and I'm not the VR expert. Um, if you, if you want to have a really exciting podcast, definitely um, hit up that VR team. Yeah. It's really amazing. The potential there uh, quite exciting. Well, uh, it's been really interesting to hear about all those different projects. I have to say the aquaponics is one of my favorites. I had a tour through there and I love seeing the fish and all the stuff that can be grown with the fish. It's just amazing. Yeah. So that's one of the areas we've seen a lot of interest from industry. Actually, uh, people really are focused on sustainable food production. Um, so in April, 2020, we received a significant federal grant to establish something called our integrated agriculture technology center. And um, that funding has kind of put all of our ag research under one umbrella and it's intended to help us build capacity so that we can keep helping small and medium-sized enterprises grow and thrive and, and become what they need to. So we offer a lot of consulting and design services through that. And many of our clients in our first year and a half of operation have been those interested in establishing aquaponics systems. And they're, they're not just in the Lethbridge region, they're coming from across the country. Wow, that's, that's really exciting. Jason, do you have some connections uh, as well with uh, this these projects? Yeah, yeah so, so I'm going to ask Megan to talk a little bit about the micro-credentials that uh, we're building and have built around uh, aquaponics. But, but I also just want to mention that uh, virtual reality and augmented reality is of great interest to us from a training and development perspective. There is a lot being written right now about how it can lower the costs of training uh, and oftentimes increase the, the actual learning. So right now, uh, we're working with the Center for Teaching, Learning and Innovation to explore the possibilities specifically around core competencies or human skills or what oftentimes is termed soft skills. Um, and, and I think that's a really beautiful place to use virtual reality. And there's a real tie to, to industry because we, we did a uh, survey a couple of years ago uh, and that survey very much told us uh, that industry, uh, one of their biggest challenges is around those core competencies. And they're oftentimes afraid to hire somebody because they're unsure if they actually have the core competencies necessary to do the job. So very excited about that. But I, Megan, if you could just touch on the uh, micro-credentials on aquaponics, that'd be amazing. Yeah, for sure. So um, I guess we started this project before Jason was at the college um, and it's been a long standing wish list for the aqu aquaponics team to have bite-sized training that we could kind of introduce what is aquaponics and get people started with their operations. Um, so we're developing, I believe it's up to 10 micro-credentials now in collaboration with Jason's area and with the Center for Teaching, Learning and Innovation, um, beginning from the very first one, which is what is aquaponics? High level introduction to how do you grow fish and, and plants together and, and why would you do that? What's, what's the impact? all the way to um, getting into the design of the units. So as you progress through the micro-credentials, through those pathways, you're, you're getting to um, a level of understanding of how the system works so that you could build your own. Um, the intent is all of those are online right now, very self-led, so people can just kind of go through them and, and get acquainted with it. And then we hope to build 
actual face-to-face training so that people could come into our facility, specifically companies could send their employees for hands-on training so that they'll be able to, to work in aquaponics facilities. And so the micro-credentials are kind of smaller, bite-sized kind of courses that people can take? Yeah, they definitely are. I think these ones uh, take about 10 hours to complete, at least the initial ones. Um, And then I'm sure Jason has a a better definition for micro-credentials than I do. Yeah, bite-sized learning is the perfect way to say it. So it's typically from seven to 10 hours. It's very much skill or competency-based. And uh, we are going to assess to make sure that you've actually learned the skill by the end of each micro-credential, which is really great uh, from the perspective of upskilling and reskilling. And we're designing a lot of micro-credentials right now. But from an employment perspective, let's say somebody is employed, but maybe underemployed, and they just need one bite-sized piece of learning in order to get to that next level, we can now provide that to them. Yeah. And it sounds like it would be very targeted to their specific needs. So they're not spending a lot of time learning things that maybe aren't relevant to them, but they're learning just the information that they really need at that point in time. Exactly. And they're almost always industry driven. So we're always having conversations with industry to understand what are the skills that you're missing right now that we can help uh, move that skill forward within uh, a learning group. Yeah, and f- so for the for for those aquaponics ones, um, what we're hearing from industry is that like the greenhouse industry in Alberta is set to boom. So right now there's only about 200 acres worth of greenhouses in Alberta. It's not very much when you compare that to Ontario, which is around 3,000. But there's some really big players building big greenhouses here in Alberta, and they're not going to have anybody to work in these big greenhouses. So if we can create these bite-sized training opportunities for an industry like that, that's just ready to take off, it's going to have huge impact. That's really exciting to hear. And, and, uh, you know, very exciting for people who are looking for reskilling and thinking about maybe going a different career direction. So you both work in post-secondary and I know you both have gone on to higher education. So you probably naturally have a love of learning as many of us do that work in education. So we always finish our podcast asking you what you have loved learning about recently. And this can be something personal. It can be something professional. Um, It really throws that door wide open about something that you've really uh, been fascinated about learning. I mentioned already that I finished my master's last year. And it was focused on sustainability, creativity, and innovation. And one of the things I loved most in that program was something called living schools and living campuses. Um, So we've already touched on today that whole systems thinking, and, and I referenced it being an ecosystem and tying it back to nature. And that's a direct result of, of that living school and living campus idea. Um, so it's, it's kind of complicated to explain, just like, like a system is complex, this, this whole idea is complex, but basically we treat a school or a campus as an entire learning system. And we integrate everything we can for the well-being of all. So we, we'd start getting more connected back to nature, We connect to our community outside of our campus walls. We connect with the community inside our campus walls. And we really treat it like that whole ecosystem. Everything within the school or the campus is a a learning tool. Um, 
there's a lot of really inspiring schools that are doing this in the K to 12 space. And then in the post-secondary space, the one that's really leading and, and driving this is Dawson College in Montreal. Um, I would, if you're interested in, in this type of thing, that whole like ecosystem approach to how do we be more sustainable in our campuses, how do we focus on health and well-being for our people, really encourage people to check out what Dawson College is doing because it's in incredible. And I'm hoping that we can start modeling some of these things at our campus in Lethbridge College and, and use those UN sustainable development goals that we've talked about today as a kind of our guide for how do we make our campus a place where everyone feels welcome, everyone feels included, we're connected to nature. Um, if any of the listeners have looked up Lethbridge College's campus or, or been to it, it's beautiful. We are right on the edge of the coolies, um, which are, you know, hills and there's a river at the bottom and we can go for nature walks in the middle of the day if we want. And, and that's important to take those nature breaks and re reconnect with, with, with our roots. Um, in, in my master's, I got to do one assignment where it kind of analyzed that back to, back to nature. How, how, what does nature mean to me? And I reflected on growing up on a farm and, and the connection of how that's made me who I am and, and why I, I loved being on a farm. So, um, and then if I could mention the second thing that I've enjoyed learning lately, cause I know Jason will bounce off of this. Um, it's something called strategic doing. So I recently completed a course with some of my ecosystem innovation ecosystem uh, partners across the province. Um, and it was all about strategic doing, which is just enhancing our collaborative potential. And instead of doing so much strategic planning, let's do some doing. So stop writing down all your action plans and just get going, just get started. Um, and I fell in love with this concept and got really excited about it. And I said, Jason, you have to read this book. And I think he ordered it while we were still talking. And I think you had it the next day or the day after, and then you, you've already read it. And we're just going to start strategically doing across campus and brainwash everybody to come along with us. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like he really got on the, the doing part, ordering that book. Okay. Yeah. Jason. Yeah. I, I love the book and highly recommend it, but that, I'm not going to talk about that one. I love this question about uh, something you've loved learning lately, mostly because one of my strengths in the strengths finder is input. So I collect information all the time. I can't help myself. But something that I came across not too long ago was the trust triangle by Dr. Francis Frey from Harvard. And it's really helped me understand trust in a much more meaningful way. And the triangle is really simple. At the top, you have authenticity, uh, bottom right, empathy, bottom left, logic. Uh, and, you know, when you think about authenticity, uh, people are asking the question, am I experiencing the real you? Uh, and if they're not experiencing the real you or don't feel they're experiencing the real you, guess what? Trust is going to go down. Uh, empathy, do I believe that you care about my well-being, right? And makes complete sense. And then logic, does it make sense? Like, like is there reasoning behind it? And what I love when she, she talks about it, she's got a great TED Talk, so go find the TED Talk, is she talks a little bit about that there can be a wobble in any one of these, um, a trust wobble, right? And so it's really made me challenge myself to understand when I'm sensing there's not high trust, where is the wobble? And so right now for me, because I'm thinking very big and long-term, 
Most often it comes in the logic because I'm already five years ahead in my thinking and I'm not explaining the today and now in enough detail that somebody goes, oh yeah, that makes complete sense because I'm already living five years out, right? And so very often I see empathy and you think about this time uh, and place right now with, with COVID and how important it is to illustrate that we care for, for others. Um, so I, I love the concept, highly recommend the TED video. She also has a book that she co-wrote with Anne Morris, uh, an excellent resource to better understand trust. Wonderful, thank you. I'm going to have to definitely look up that TED talk and uh, as well, look up the resources that you mentioned, Megan, and we will put those both in the show notes that I, I love learning about what you guys are, are learning about. That sounds really amazing. Thank you so much for uh, talking with me today and sharing all the great work that you're doing. It's absolutely fascinating and very, very exciting. Um, so thank you again for, for joining us. Thanks you're for welcome. having us. This episode featured Donna McLaughlin as host and Megan Shapka and Jason Donkersgood as guests. Jude Bialik was our producer. Ryan Robinson was our sound technician and editor. Thank you also to Daryl Benebeck, Joel Godry, Kelsey Jansen, Georgiana Gagnon, and Tyler Wall for their ongoing support and expertise. Our podcast is funded by Lethbridge College's Center for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation and recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. For more information and inspiration, check out learninginnovation.ca. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, or follow us on your chosen platform. Thanks for listening and take care.